and uh, and I'll never forget a lady coming up to me with with tears in her eyes at the end because she had all these questions and doubts and just um, wasn't sure that she could trust that the Bible, you know, said back then was originally written what she had in her Bible today, and being able to see for herself just a, a glimpse of evidence uh, made all the difference in the world to her. I'm Dan Darling, and this is the Way Home Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the ERLC National Conference on August 25th and 26th. Visit ERLC.com slash events. Lauren McAfee grew up in a famous family, the Green family of Hobby Lobby fame. What was it like to grow up this way? And what was it about her parents' faith and her grandparents' faith that made it compelling for her own walk with Christ? I'm joined today by Lauren and her husband, Michael, as they talk with me about family heritage, about life in the spotlight, and about their new project, the Museum of the Bible. So glad to be here with Lauren and Michael McAfee here from Museum of the Bible. And Lauren, of course, you're daughter of the Green family. Yeah, that's right. Steve of, Green is my dad. I like of to Hobby claim Lobby him. fame, right? <laughs> and many other things. Uh, yeah. So thanks for joining us here today. I want to talk about the Museum of the Bible. So for people that are not aware of this project, can you give a brief intro to what it is and, and, and what the purpose of this is? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Museum of the Bible is a museum going in Washington, D.C., all about the Bible that will be, it'll be two blocks from the Air and Space Museum, but it'll be a, it'll be a major museum. It'll be eight floors, 430,000 square feet, all dedicated to the Bible. So mm. we'll have three main floors that'll focus on the history of the Bible, showing people how we got the Bible that we hold in our hands mm -hmm. today, kind of the historical aspect of the Bible. Um, we'll have a floor that shows the impact of the Bible. So we want to be able to show people the ways that this book has impacted every area of life. Mm. I mean, whether you look at science or government or cultures, I mean, it has impacted so many areas of life, even areas that you wouldn't normally think of, mm -hmm. um, like fashion. You know, it has, you know, there's a really large fashion show in New York a few years ago that was uh, themed on the Bible and fashion. And so, you know, so many different things like that that mm. we don't even realize or haven't ever heard of that we could see how this book has impacted. And we want to get to share that with people. And then the other floor that we'll have is the narrative floor. So we mm. want to show people kind of big overview, what is in this book? What are the stories in this book? So Old Testament and New Testament, Hebrew Bible and New mm. Testament, um, so that people can actually get a good overview of, if they don't know anything about the Bible, they can walk through that and have a good understanding of the big picture overview of the stories in this book. Mm -hmm. So so it's kind of big picture what the museum is going to be um, going there in Washington, D.C. Yeah, and it, it, it seems the appropriate place for it. When you go to D.C., there's memorials and monuments, which are really great. I mean, I love DC. Yeah. Uh, there's the Smithsonian with museums about all these different disciplines. Uh, and so to have it right there, mm -hmm. It can really be a yeah. Really be great. One of the reasons that we ended up in D.C. Um, whenever we were first looking, we were looking at a couple different cities, mm -hmm. and we did an economic impact study to see where a museum would be most attended if people were even interested in a museum mm -hmm. about the Bible. And surprisingly, people were showed a lot of interest in a museum all about the Bible, yeah. and so that was really encouraging and great to see. But then also we saw that Washington, D.C. would have the best attendance, mm -hmm. which makes sense because people go there for museums. Yeah. So 
Yeah. If you're going to D.C., you can kind of expect you're wanting to check out museums, and Museum of the Bible will be one of those in just 18 months. Yeah, and that's, I mean, my hope for the museum is uh, exactly what you just mentioned. We we were in D.C. a few months ago, kind of for the first time since I was a kid, mm. with some time to kill. And so we went to the Museum of Natural History. Now, I'm not, I took minimum science classes in college. I'm not a science nerd, but we had mm. some open time, and so why not go check it out? Um, and that's who I'm really hoping comes to Museum of the Bible, is mm. someone that is taking a trip um, to the museum's uh, kind of culture there in D.C., has some time. And even if someone is just moderately interested in the Bible, would say, mm. hey, well, we, we can give an afternoon to go explore yeah. this book. They may never even walk into a church door, but would be willing to go into a place like this and discover the Bible for themselves. It seems to me that there would be like several different types of people that would benefit. I mean, you know, like you said, me, maybe people who are not Christians, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, not believers, maybe the skeptics, maybe they even are from another faith, but they might just from the historical perspective, see the impact the Bible has had on the world and Western civilization. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it seems like people have kind of a an idea of what they think the Bible says, but they don't really know. And they come in and they see right. that. Yeah. Then it also seems like if you are a believer and it's a lot of this stuff is assumed, like, yeah, the Bible's true, but like to actually come and see how, how it was put together to give you more confidence in your faith, right? Yeah. I mean, our mission of the museum is to invite all people yeah. to engage with the Bible. So just like you were saying, you know, mm-hmm. people that maybe have faith or of no faith yeah. or of different faiths yeah. um, to come in and explore and engage with this book. Um, it can mm-hmm. seem, if you're just going straight to your Bible, it can kind of seem daunting to try and figure mm-hmm. out the Bible. Um, and so we want to invite people to come to the museum and get to engage with the Bible on so many different levels and learn about mm-hmm. it and hopefully bring people to engaging with the Bible after they leave our museum to learn more about this book. Um, Cause it, it is an incredible book. It's changed the world. It's changed my life personally. Mm-hmm. And so we want to bring it back to the forefront of people's minds. Cause we do have a very biblical illiterate culture today, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. looking over um, just statistics of a, a recent report that was done by the American Bible society. It's, it's very sad to see the biblical literacy in our country. Um, and I think that's global yeah. too. So we, we want to be a part of bringing the Bible back to the conversation, bringing it back to discussion and to the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. Cause w- when you leverage that with, when we, we did a major study and 86% of Americans when asked to name a book that they consider sacred or holy named the Bible. Mm. Um, the next closest was 10% the Quran. Mm. Um, so Americans claim to believe the Bible. They all, two out of three Americans would say they wish they read the Bible more, um, but the vast majority read the Bible a few times a year or less. And so uh, one of the big things we want to do at the museum, not only in the building itself there in DC, but, but internationally is say, how can we help be a part of alleviating this problem of biblical literacy, of lack of Bible engagement, um, and even, you know, helping to make it more accessible to people all over the world when you still have uh, 2,000 translations that have not been begun uh, of the Bible into different languages. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so Bible advocacy is our big mission. It, it would seem, too, also, even uh, scholars and students would like to come, too, to study, to look at some of the manuscripts Absolutely. and look through the library and... So part of um, the Museum of the Bible as an organization is we have all these initiatives that do exactly what you're mentioning. So we have a research program called the Museum Scholars Initiative Mm. where we partner with scholars at universities and allow them access to our collections to do research on Mm. it. 
and ask them to mentor students in the process. So we're working with professors and scholars around the world to bring about the latest biblical research um, and wanting to also help mentor and raise up the next generation of biblical scholars in that by having that mentoring component. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the, you know, the museum is also been privileged to acquire some some pretty cool manuscripts. I think this is one thing that the average Christian doesn't realize that just the the um, overwhelming amount of original manuscripts or not original but ancient manuscripts more than any other book uh, is one of the evidences for the validity of scripture is how it's for the reliability of scripture. So can you talk about some of those that, that yeah, the museum will have? Yeah, so some of the really neat pieces that are fairly recognizable are the Dead Sea Scroll fragments that we have. We do have some fragments, and I'm so grateful to have those. And those were such a huge discovery and made such a difference because mm-hmm. of their very early date um, that we have a new publication coming out about our fragments, actually. We've been working on the research for a few years with some great scholars and students being mentored in that and publication coming out on that soon. Um, so we'll have Dead Sea Scroll fragments on display mm-hmm. at our museum. We've also partnered with the Israel Antiquities Authority, mm-hmm. who has the largest collection of Dead Sea Scroll fragments. And they'll be working with us and having a gallery in our museum. So not only will you get to see the small collection that we have of fragments, but also access to these incredible things that have really never even been seen by the Israel Antiquities Authority. Um, so we're, we're excited about that. But another really neat artifact that I think is very interesting is we have um, a papyrus fragment called P39. Mm. And with its early second century date, it's the earliest portion of that text of John wow. known in the world. I remember when that, that news came out about yeah. that being discovered. So it's, it's a beautiful piece, yeah. and we will have that on display, and, and other pieces like that that are just very significant. Yeah. And we've That's been able amazing. to see, I mean, in our role, I go and speak at churches, and mm-hmm. First Baptist Church Owasso in Oklahoma, Chris Wall, a mentor of mine, asked me to come in and speak and show some mm-hmm. of these items, and and, uh, and I'll never forget a lady coming up to me with, with tears in her eyes at the end because she had all these questions and doubts and just um, wasn't sure that she could trust that the Bible, you know, said back then was originally written what she had in her Bible today. And being able to see for herself just a, a glimpse of evidence uh, made all the difference in the world mm-hmm. to her. And we talked about how it's okay to wrestle with these doubts and questions. And, um, and it was one of the times that for me, what we're doing at the museum began to click about coming alongside of churches and helping mm-hmm. um, local church pastors and local churches to be able to give them uh, the tools that they need to be able to share about uh, the story of how this book has survived and thrived throughout the centuries despite um, immense opposition. What does Christian faithfulness look like in a changing culture? Join us in Nashville for the ERLC National Conference, August 25th and 26th. We will be joined by Russell Moore, Matt Chandler, Andy Crouch, Gabe Lyons, Brian Luritz, Alyssa Wilkinson, Karen Pryor, and others. We'll discuss politics, sports, business, art, discipleship, and more. Find out more at ERLC.com events and use the coupon code WAYHOME for a 20% discount. One of the things that's, I think, really uh, inspiring about your family, the Green family, if I can embarrass you, (laughs) is just how um, your family has really to invest in the future of the church, to invest in the church with some of these really worthy and important projects, uh, like the Museum of the Bible uh, and and many other worthy things. It's really a remarkable example of, you know, how God's faithfulness and, 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 you know, there's a lot of businessmen that, that do well, but to really be intentional as your family has been in terms of 
serving the body of Christ. Is that just something that your family's always lived out and that you've, that I, you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I have to say I'm very blessed with generations ahead of me that have loved the Bible um, mm-hmm. and had a deep love for the church. Um, my great-grandfather was a pastor, and mm-hmm. my grandpa, all of his siblings went in to be either a pastor or married to a pastor. Um, and doing ministry and just serving others and loving the body of Christ was always a part of my heritage, um, which is a huge blessing. And I know not a lot of people get to say that. And and so my family's had a love for the Bible for generations. Mm. And, and seeing my dad also get to carry that on with the Museum of the Bible and his leadership there. And it's not just in work and in leading things, but growing up as a little girl, I was homeschooled and would wake up every morning at like 6 a.m. to do my math lesson with my dad before he went to work because he taught us math. Mm-hmm. My mom taught us everything else. And I'd walk down every walk downstairs every morning and his light would have already been on for a long time and he was in, in his study reading the Bible. And so seeing that dedication of my dad wanting to read the Bible every day and my uncle made a commitment um, 20 years ago that he wanted to read the Bible every day and he's, you know, by the grace of God kept that. So Mm. the Bible is absolutely very much a part of our family and we have a deep love for it that whenever the opportunity for the Museum of the Bible came up, um, it just, it made sense and we were so excited about it because we had already, already been so involved in other Bible projects and getting, getting the word of God Mm. out to other people and sharing that and serving others that this was just another opportunity that the Lord brought, and we're humbled to get to be a part of this amazing project that has mm. been a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much, uh, Lauren and Michael, for for joining me on the podcast, and thank, Thanks for thank you and your family for this this great museum. We're gonna keep telling people about it, and awesome. hopefully, uh, encourage them to go see it when it opens. Yeah, fall of twenty seventeen. Check it out. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster, assisted by David Clossom, and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.